0: Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? If you're online, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Glad that you've joined with us. It's going to be a great day. Does anybody still bring their Bibles to church? Got your Bibles? Take it to Luke 12. I'm going to read a lot of Scripture today. Um, You know, I believe in the power of the Word of God, right? We believe that the Word is powerful. It's active. It'll do something in our lives. So... Uh, We're going to look at uh, Luke 12. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at almost the entire chapter because I think it will help us is Jesus. i got to figure Jesus is a pretty good teacher, right? So why not just let him say it? And I'll try as best I can to make it applicable to our lives today. But uh, let's look at what Jesus says at overcoming the fear of the future. Now, I'm going to set this up. And then we'll look at it together, we'll read through it, I'll give you, give you some points. But as a reminder, if, you, if you're afraid of something, it's not of God. It's just the bottom line. God is not giving you a spirit of fear. Because he's given you one of power and love and a sound mind, right? Slight like confession. Ah, that may be a major confession. <clears throat> just hang with me though. Tom was at our final service last year before we shut down. It was in March. We're on 11 months, going on 12. When things shut down last year, um, I have to tell you, personally, I became very concerned for our church. There are some things about our church, I I mean, I love our church, and it, it is an awesome place, but... Our church has always been a, a, a church of gathering. It, it's a place where people come. Uh, it's not. It's, it, if you just go to church and don't want to get engaged in church, eventually most people who do that don't stay at fullness really long because we're a church that tries to engage in community and life. And so, our online presence was really bad because we didn't. Honestly, we didn't care. It was really more. It was more about, okay, if you couldn't gather on that particular Sunday, then you could watch what was going on. But it wasn't like geared toward a long-term relationship online. So if you go back and look at our services like a year ago that are online, we've tried to delete a bunch of them. But if you go back and look at them, you can get the message, but it really was not, we just weren't designed for that. In addition, our church has always been a very a church that, as Gabriel pointed out, we give we give because it's an act of worship. It's an act of thanksgiving. We've always given really physically here. Um, our giving online was only at about thirty percent a year ago. So you can see my concerns maybe going in. Okay, we have a church that doesn't do online. We have a church that doesn't give online. How are we gonna make it through this? How how are we gonna transition and process? Because to really increase your online presence, by the way, you need money. Yeah, because it's expensive stuff to do cameras and online stuff. So let me just tell you that the tech team, the staff here have done an unbelievable job at upping our game. At upping, things, at upping things at very little cost. You may have noticed we, we changed the color of the carpet up here and did a background so that online it would look different. If you're, if you're just visiting with us and none of this interests you, I'll come back to Luke 12 in a minute, but honestly, this does have a point. So we did all of that. And then we just encouraged people to give. This is what's unbelievable to me. I mean, totally unbelievable. Every single month, I waited for the other shoe to drop. Like, okay, when when does giving drop off? When does people watching online, when does it drop off? Um, We're averaging, in case you're wondering, we're averaging at about 60% in person what we were a year ago. But a year ago, we had five people on average watching online. Yeah, one hand, five people. Because again, it wasn't our deal. Most Sundays, we now have 100 screens watching us online. We don't even know. We've got people all over the world, wherever you are, um, watching online and worshiping with us and engaging. Almost our entire population that's over the age of 70, except for a couple who I won't point out, Dottie, uh, (laughs) come... Don't even come, don't even come on Sunday morning because they're at risk or they have different health risks and we're so glad you you are. And so things, not And at risk. We're, not glad you're at risk. we're not glad you're at risk, I'm sorry, <laughs> my mind's getting ahead of itself. I'm sorry you're at risk, but I understand if you're not here. Um, the point being, last year we gave, you gave basically the same amount of money as you had given the year before. Which, think about this, we didn't have church for months. Now our giving, which was at 30% online, is over 90% online. Um, Our our people who are part of fullness, and and it has touched my heart incredibly, because money is just money. Listen, I understand money. It's just money. Don't get, I I don't want to, but again, to me it says This is the level of engagement of the family at fullness. So we took in the same amount of money. We actually spent a little less last year than we did the year before. And not only that, this January, I'm like, okay, it's going to happen in January. Things are going to go. I'm a real man of faith. I I understand. So don't judge me. I'm just I'm being real with you. I kept saying, okay, January, the bottom is, you know, because December was unbelievable. We had the best January in the history of the church in giving. I mean, it was, its yeah, you give yourself a hand. Again, it's just money. But here's what I'm trying to say. Our fears for the future many times don't come to pass. But our fears for the future dominate our thoughts in the present. And if you're afraid, like I was, get rid of it let god put in a spirit of love and power and a sound mind and you know my concerns i I can look back logically i have logical concerns and i tried to lay them out for you for every single thing i was concerned about for the future i we have staff and families and things going on you know praise god we have no debt at this church so i wasn't worried about anybody repossessing anything Praise God you did that years ago where we paid off everything and we've operated in a debt-free environment for 20 years almost. Not many places can say that. But it does take a lot of worry about the future off of you. But what I'm saying is this, even in spite of that, it just jumps on you. Concerned for the future. And we can't predict what the days ahead hold. So how do we how do we overcome this fear of the future, which many, almost every single one of us has in some way? And I can tell you this, it will do me no good to stand up here and say, don't be afraid of the future. Stop being afraid. Quit it. Don't do that anymore. You know, that's a useless endeavor. Instead, I think you have to set your mind on something else that will take away your fear of the future. I was reading a book by Russell Moore that uh, Scott recommended for me on fears, and he has this part toward the end of the book about why well, he was sitting around in kind of a... Russell Moore is a ethics um, Southern Baptist guy who does politics and ethics for Southern Baptists. He, he's a pastor. He's a trained theologian. He was with a group of men in a cabin somewhere, and one guy was try, asked a kind of icebreaker question, kind of discussion around a campfire, and said... If you could read one thing that hasn't been written, but you would like to read it, what would it be? And then the guy answered his own question. He basically said, what I'd like to read is what Jesus kneeled and wrote in the sand when they brought the woman in adultery to him. And Russell Moore said, I'd like to read my own obituary. And... The guy said, wow, Moore, you're, you're really getting morbid. And he said, no, no, you know, there's some things about, it would tell me when I'm going to die, tell me the status of my family, what they're, if they're married or single or where they are, if my wife's still alive, and if I've got five years or 30 years. Or He goes through the rest of the book to say, it sounded really good at the time, but he realized that what it did was expose his heart about the fear of the future it exposed like worry about his family and how he was going to die and you know god uses things like that to shake us a little bit to for us to realize wow this is inside of me just like he did me over the past year to 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 shake out some ways of thinking that i thought i was o- over or past but not really new things that that come up in our lives that show us how we think. So if we're not going to get over our fear of the future by saying get over the fear of the future, how are we going to get over our fear of the future, right? Thanks, Jonathan. If you don't say yes to me on occasion, I'll just back up and run over it again until <laughs> I'm sure you got where we're going. Here's the deal. If we're going to get over our fear of the future, I think we need to look at something different. And I believe what the Bible teaches us is if we wanna get over the fear of the future, then we need to get a proper perspective on heaven. We need to get a proper perspective on what ultimate future looks like so this earthly future doesn't dominate our way of thinking. When I was, um, I, I was, I, when I was younger, I was not a very good student. So if you have an elementary school student who is not a very good student, um. Get, yeah, take heart, take heart. So what happened was, in eighth grade, I wanted to, to be part of the special program. But to be part of this special program, it was an exchange program that our, our school was doing to, to Scotland, and I wanted to go, and part of the thing you had to do was get all A's and B's. Well, I wasn't getting any A's and B's up through seventh grade. I mean, like none, you know, I mean... Uh, it was, never mind. Anyway, I wasn't getting any. So I, they said, you have to get all A's and B's in order to go on this program. So, you know, I just flipped a switch and said, I think I can, if I work harder, maybe I can get A's and B's. And then I started getting all A's. And then when I got into ninth grade, um, I started realizing, realize, oh, they, colleges care about what your grades are. Uh, if I wanna to go to college, then I need decent grades in high school. So I just kept going. So then in college, I wanted to go to graduate school, so I thought I'll keep my... By the time I got to graduate school, it had become a habit, a way of studying, a way of learning, a way of doing things. But my motivation for doing well really wasn't where I was at, it was where I was going and where I felt like God was taking me. And C.S. Lewis says this, if you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Neither. What are we aiming for? If we really want to overcome our fear of the future, then what we need is to get a proper perspective on our ultimate future. In Luke 12, Jesus is gathered, a lot of people are starting to follow Jesus. And the religious leaders are getting all bent out of shape about it. You, you know the story. They're getting really upset. They start attacking Jesus. They start saying evil things about him. At the end of Luke 11, it's very verbal and very direct about how furious the Pharisees are with Jesus. And so Jesus t- starts teaching really his disciples, but there's a lot of people around and the Pharisees are there. And so Jesus is directing his teaching to his his followers, especially the smaller group of disciples, but at the indirect way, he's also addressing the Pharisees who are observing his teaching. And when he does, I think in this long passage, and I'm going to break it down into three parts, um, in this long passage, he gives them how to not worry about either today or the near future. You with me? Hello? You with me? All right, let's launch into it. Here it is. This passage and our proper view of heaven will give us a proper perspective on suffering, a proper perspective on suffering. Here's the passage, starting in Luke 12, reading verses 4 through 12. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before God will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven." Look up here just one second, I'm gonna go on. The, the whole blasphemy of the Holy Spirit has been very complicated over the years. I think here Jesus is tying it into a denial that Jesus is the Christ. And the only way you can see that Jesus is the Christ is by the Spirit of God drawing you to the, to him. Go, let me go on, I'm not even gonna, there's so much in this passage I could take apart. I wanna keep it big picture for us for today. When you're brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities Do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. This whole passage, I believe Jesus is saying, don't worry about people who can destroy your body. Now, honestly, it's a concern, is it not? I mean it's something that we think about a lot. We think about it in relationship to everything that's going on around us. But the Bible gives a whole different view on suffering than we as Americans who really don't know suffering. We really we think we suffer but we've never really suffered. And Jesus says to them here And Paul and other passages say, listen, we need to embrace whatever suffering we're undergoing because it prepares us, it purifies us now and prepares us for heaven. It's purifying, it's strengthening, it changes us. Suffering, I've said this many years, suffering, problems, obstacles are like the spiritual dumbbells of our life that build up our spiritual muscles. And the reason many Americans are so weak spiritually is because we've spent our entire life in an avoidance of suffering. And we believe in some ways it's our natural right not to suffer. But suffering will build us up. Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven talks about two guys one was named Lin Quan, and another one was named Ben Fielding. Lin Quan came from China and they went to school together. They were roommates at Harvard. Ben Fielding was a Christian and Lin Quan was not. Ben Fielding and some others led Li Kwan to the Lord. After college, they went their separate ways. Li Kwan went back to China. Ben Fielding became an incredibly successful businessman. Li Kuan went through incredible suffering in China. He went through difficult times. They got back together after 20 years. And Li Kuan's faith was unbelievably strong, passionate, and powerful. Ben Fielding, the American who had undergone no suffering, had basically abandoned the ways of the Lord. Prosperity is not all that it's cracked up to be. Sometimes prosperity for some of us is actually a curse. Because what really matters is our relationship with God. What really matters is our connection with him. What really matters is the purification of our souls. And suffering does that for us. It's a reminder at times of God coming through. A number of years ago, I was running, which I still am, but much slower, And it was just back when I was younger and um, invincible. Um, And, you know, there's some things about running you're supposed to do that I thought didn't really apply to me um, because I'd always done well running. So, in other words, so when you run and start running, you shouldn't up your miles too fast. It's kind of a general rule. You should, like spend two weeks at a mileage up at 10%, two weeks at that mileage up at 10%. So I went from like five to 10 to 15 from one week to the next. You know, because, well, I could. And so, you know, I just was upping it because I was going to get ready for a marathon. So at about mile 18 on week four, after upping my miles, like, I'm running past this, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was on the Dexter Loop, Dave, right after you come off the gas station. on that. De- this is why I hate Dexter so much. We just had a drink of water. Some of you are like, he's just going on way too long. And I just come off this one spot, and I felt this thing in my knee, like below my knee. And it just hurt. And I'm like, runners, we get hurts all the time, but so you just keep running. And you think, oh, it'll go away. Well, this did not go away. And it got worse and worse and worse. Now, I'm like five, seven, eight miles from the car. I can't remember. but So I had to get back to the car, so I just ran to the car. Um, but it really hurt. By the time, and then later in that afternoon, it hurt, blah, blah, blah. Turns out I'd gotten a stress fracture in my leg right here because I was upping my miles too quick. And it hurt. And it also knocked me down for like, Long, I should have stayed down longer than I did, but nonetheless, it's another, it's another teaching someday. Every time I run past, past that place, every time I remember that day, over 10 years ago, when my stress fracture... I, I mean, I can't pass that place on the road without thinking about what happened. Suffering does some stuff into us. If we'll let it, it will remind us of why we're here and where we're headed. If we'll let it and let God do his work in our lives. If we get focused on the suffering or we get focused on why did God not help me or why did God not protect me, we'll miss the point of the whole thing. So having a proper perspective on suffering on heaven will help us as we undergo suffering. Here's what um, Peter says. He says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. We will keep going and into an inheritance that can never perish, that heavenly perspective. Can't spoil, it can't fade. It's kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the, till the, what is the word? I can't see it on the yellow. Coming of, of, of the salvation that is ready and revealed in the last times. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to, have, have to suffer grief. In all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes... Even though refined by fire, some of you are thinking he's emphasizing this for a point. Really, I just can't see it. May be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Hallelujah. We get an inheritance. We have a living hope. We get suffering. It's it's a promise. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this. I'm going to preach on prosperity doctrine in later in the spring. Just to set you up, I'm going to preach on this whole series called Fake News. Things the church believes that the Bible doesn't teach. Just hang on, it'll be fun. <laughs> Point being this, I would contend the Bible has a lot more to say about your promised suffering than it does your promised prosperity. The prosperity that's promised to you is in heaven. Some now, but most in heaven. Now, more suffering, there none. But the suffering is working in us. It's doing its stuff in us. As a matter of fact, if we're children of God, then we're heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. How do we know? If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Heaven proper perspective of heaven, will help us go through the sufferings that we get to go through now that are at work within us to, to do stuff in us, to per, to help us in this life and to prepare us for, for heaven. One of my favorite uh, books is uh, by Bill Heimer. It's called Destined for the Throne. And he talks all about suffering in this life, basically saying when When we get to inherit our throne, when we're destined for that area, for heaven, God is working in us now so that when our inheritance occurs, we'll be ready for it. It's one of the things suffering is promised to do in us. All right, second point is this. A proper perspective on heaven will guide us to invest wisely. It will guide us to invest wisely. One of my sons is here, Caleb, and he um, has a job. (laughs) Praise God. Yeah, he's off my payroll. He's on his own. Hallelujah. Um, And so one of the things we've talked about is if you'll invest at the age of 25, which he is, 25. um, (laughs) I'm a good dad. Wait, he's 25. If you'll invest now, the return on this money is gonna be huge. If you wait till you're 50... To start investing, you, it's just a, a principle of investing, right? But what I'm trying to teach Caleb, more than investing for this life is investing in the next. Investing in the ultimate future. And it's where Jesus goes in the next verses, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's the very next verse. I'm just reading through the chapter. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Now, if it were me, it's like, I don't know, but you're, you know, you're a great teacher. You're the son of God, right? But then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then he tells them this very familiar parable that you're well aware of. He said to them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have to have have a place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, hey, self. That's me adding that in. "You, you You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. This this consumption of our lives that we need to gather, build bigger barns, Invest in our future here. Now, I'm not saying, please, and I don't think Jesus is either, not saying don't be wise financially. As a matter of fact, the Bible has a lot to say about don't get in debt, how to invest, don't borrow. It has a lot, but what he's saying, if you're consumed with gathering possessions now, you're not investing wisely. Having a proper view of the future, a proper perspective of heaven will help you invest correctly now right so we want to build up in here. here's jesus whole point anything you gather now anything you put in that bigger barn now when you die it stays here it doesn't go with you it's done it's going to go to the next generation which is not a bad thing to pass on an inheritance but that's not our goal our goal is to build up so to speak riches in heaven what What does he mean by build up riches in heaven? Gold? No, I think he's pretty clear. The thing we build up in heaven that is our inheritance is people. We build up by investing in people. We build up by sharing the gospel with people. The only thing you're going to take to heaven with you is people. I mean, look around at all the people in your life who And I don't mean to be one of these hellfire preachers to say, scare you into something, but realistically, look at the people in your sphere of influence and say, I want to take them with me. I want them to be with me for all eternity so that we invest the gospel. If we get a proper perspective of heaven, it will cause us to invest wisely. David Geffen says this, anybody who thinks money will make you happy hasn't got money. Because people with money, they realize, oh my, this is not, this is not it. This is not what's making me happy. It's not giving me life. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount to not store up for ourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And know this, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you treasure people, love people, invest in people, that's where your heart's going. If you love money, that's where your heart's going. Dale Moody once said this, gold is a really bad life preserver. We think it will help us, but it won't. So Paul says, fix your eyes on what? Not what's seen. But what's unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Over the years, our church has had opportunity to go and to help in relief projects. Um, like uh, we we went when uh, the tornado, the really bad one, about 10 years ago came through and decimated that whole area. And I mean, you walk in and we're... Where people's entire lives were is totally gone. I mean, down to the foundation. Brick homes, trees, just miles and miles of nothing. We helped when Hurricane Katrina came through and went down and did relief stuff. I mean, just gone. But what won't be gone is people whose lives have been given to the Lord. It should cause us to invest wisely. And here's my thought. Where where is our attention? Where is our investment, so to speak? Because this leads to both my third point and really what Jesus is saying is this, that, that if we get a perspective on heaven of proper suffering now, investment for the future, it'll guard our hearts and help us Stay true to what really, really matters. What really matters. Some of us are caught up in the not really matters things. They consume our time. And listen, I could stand up here and give you my list. And I've got a list of things that really consume too much of my time. That then my heart kind of takes over if I'm not careful about. It's one of the great things about fasting by the way. You give up something for a period of time and it, it'll it break a tie in your heart over that stuff. Here's what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Can I, can I just stop there for a little while? Don't worry about it. How many of you spent time at your closet this morning? I don't have a thing to wear. He said, don't worry about Don't worry about it. Why why do you have to say that? Because we worry about it. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest, consider the lilies, how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spend, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. Oh my goodness. Again, there's so much in this passage. I just don't have time to stop it. Are we that different from the pagan world? And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom And these things will be given to you as well. Let me just finish out reading this passage. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we get a proper perspective on heaven... It will move our hearts towards the things that really matter. It is easy to get caught up in the things that don't matter. Let me um, let me pull back the curtain just a little bit and let you into Bart and Kathy world, uh, which it's its own fascinating study in and of itself. In Bart and Kathy world, last one out of the bed makes it. Just a general rule. It's just been a general policy ever since we got married. The last one out of the bed makes the bed. So for 30 years, we've made the bed kind of like this. Now, this is my making the bed. If you want to critique, you just got a critical spirit is your problem. Um, So (laughs) what you do is you you just pull the covers up. You throw some pillows on. You know, looks good. Now, let me just tell you, our bedroom is at the back of our house. In other words, you don't pass by our bedroom. It's not like one of those bedrooms that's off the main area. The only reason you're going to see my bed is if you're headed to the bedroom, which only really me and Kathy go to. Our kids used to, but nobody else really heads that way. I mean, it's at the end of the hall where it is. So my theory, 30 years, this has been great. Let's make the bed. Great. Got it, babe hmm, comforter, pillows, boom, bed made, let's go on with life. It doesn't really matter. Two weeks ago, I come home, my bed is made like this. I'm like, what is this? And Kathy's like, "I I saw this thing, I don't know, she's, on pinterest or something i don't know where it is about making the bed so like uh, you can't even see what's going on here but the 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 spread there's one thing folded once there's a comforter folded in thirds it's all at the back the pillows have to be in a certain place and i'm saying why (laughs) nobody nobody is coming back here to see this and and she she said you, you know, you just don't get it. I said, oh, I get it. I'm never making the bed again. That's what I get. So let me back up and tell you the truth. I still don't care about the bed. But what matters to me is my wife. And if this extra five stinking minutes to fold in thirds and halves and whatever makes her happy, I can handle it. Because trust me, (laughs) I'd rather spend five minutes making the bed than dealing with an unhappy wife. And her happiness means that much to me. Not the stinking bed. It's just a bed. But I'm trying to say to you, look and see what your treasure, I treasure my wife. And so, my heart is given to her. So, it reflects, hopefully, in the way I live. Not perfect. Even the way I made the bed before shows that. But I care for her. Jesus says, uh, well, the psalmist says, but it's a reflection, I think, of the thoughts of God. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Whom, I have, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Heaven will change the way we live. It will will give us a proper perspective on suffering. It will guide us to invest wisely. And it will move our hearts towards what really matters. I want to encourage you to get a proper perspective on heaven. When we come to the table of the Lord and we take this bread and this cup... We're remembering, it, it's, it's a past, we're remembering a past action, right? The death of Christ on the cross, his broken body, his shed blood. A past action that has a present truth, I'm changed. My sins are forgiven. I'm a part of the body of Christ. We who were many are now one. The past impacts the present, but there's also a future promise We remember the Lord's death until he comes. This is not just some religious ritual we go through. This is a remembrance that changes our present and promises our future. I want to encourage you today. How do you know if you've got a proper perspective on heaven? Well, are you walking in fear of the future? Might be a sign. How are you handling suffering in your life? I mean, let's face it, no, no one wants, no one goes, out, I'm going to go look for a place to suffer, right? I mean, we're not that, it's not, we're not warped in that, but at the same time, we embrace whatever God brings our way because we know it changes us. We, we want to invest in people, the future, wisely, and move our hearts towards really matters. I, I want to encourage you as you come to the table of the Lord today, as you come to pick up the, the bread and the cup and you're gonna take it back, I, I wanted you to move today. So rather than like leaving it in the back and having you get it, I want you to come and as you come, say, God, help me with my perspective on the future. Help me get a proper view of heaven and all that that entails because you went to the cross and died for me and there's that promise of the coming stand up with me. Lord, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. Come, Holy Spirit, and move in our hearts and lives as we look at we look at and remember your worthiness, your glory, your greatness. Lord, we take this bread and this cup what you did on the cross for us now and in the future. Help us walk free from fear. Help us to get a proper perspective of heaven so that it'll change our lives now. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, come to the table of the Lord. Pick up the elements, take them back to your place. We'll take them together in a minute, and then we'll worship.